man, I, I don't know about you, but I love that last song that we just sung. To me, it just shows the perfect picture of what Christ has done. Like the first verse says, no eyes can look upon his face. It goes back to Moses wanting to see the glory of God. And God says, look, no man can look upon me and live. Yeah, because of what Jesus did one day, we get to look upon the face of God in all of his glory. Man, love that song. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Joe. I'm the worship pastor here. Uh, pastor Aaron and Liz, they're on vacation, and so they're having a blast um, just enjoying the week as, with family. And so I'm super excited to be able to preach today. The past 12 weeks, we've been going through Galatians. We've made it through the first three uh, chapters of Galatians. Phenomenal book um, that just really, Paul heads this, this false gospel, that there's this adding to what Christ's work has done, this adding to it in any way, circumcision, following the law, whatever those things are. He says, if you believe that, you've severed yourself from Christ. Jesus was sufficient in all that he did. And so this week, we're starting a brand new series that we, well, not brand new, new this year. We do it every year. It's called Asking for a Friend. Uh, We've done it the past three years, and that's where you as the church get to submit questions, and we do our best to try to answer those questions. So this question I'm going to answer today is in light of what we just read in Galatians uh, two weeks ago. And it's, do I still need to follow the law if it can't save me? Now, some of us can just come up with a, like, well, yeah, it's God's law, you know. what? But th- I'm telling you, there's, there's so much more to this question than what meets the eye. And what we want to do today is I want to walk you through the process of answering questions biblically. And I'm going to allude to just kind of the Bible and the source of truth. But next week, I encourage you to come back. Uh, Eric Foster from Living Hope Marys is going to talk about how to study the Bible and why. You know, is it the source I'm super excited about that. But what I want to do today is we're going to read a passage from Galatians chapter 3 that brought about this question, and then we're going to get into it and try to answer it biblically. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up, Galatians chapter 3. It'll be on the screen as well, but let's stand in honor of God's Word as we read Galatians 3, starting verse 23 to 26. Galatians 3, starting verse 23. Paul says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the instruction that you've given us. God, most importantly, we thank you for the spirit that you've gave us so we can understand. God, I pray today that as we dive into your word, that you would open our hearts to your word. And God, that we would just leave here different than we came. And we give you all the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we dive into this question, I want to give just a brief, because I'll be honest with you, this, these types of series are hard for me. I would much rather just, that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> I would much rather preach through a passage. And just dive in. This is what God's Word says. Answering questions like this, if you know me, I'm, I'm a conversationalist. I would much rather do this face-to-face, just go back and forth, back and forth, and, and try to get to what you're getting at. And so through this process of trying to figure out how to answer this question, I became, became a little bit flustered. And I'm like, man, where do I start? And God just kind of was like, look, I, if you're doing this, other people might do the same thing. And so when we're trying to answer questions biblically, how do we go about doing that? So again, I'm not going to talk in depth on this, but I want to give you a little bit to chew on. And then next week, Eric Foster is going to dive into this a lot more. So when we go about answering questions that we have, we have to start with the source. Where do we go to find truth? It's either you or the Bible. We know it's not us, right? Every one of us 
here in this room, listening online, whatever it may be, we've all been fully confident of something and then found out we were wrong. We know we're not the source, even if we want to say we are. And as Christians, we know the Bible is the source. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance for things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And what we're told here by the writer of Hebrews is that the faith that God gives us is the assurance, which is like a title deed. Like we, we have full confidence, full assurance in the things hoped for. We know by faith that this is the word of God. And therefore, as Christians, we start with this as the supreme truth. But here's the deal. Even though we know this is the source, we can approach the scripture two different ways. And one is much more profitable than the other. One way says, look, God sources, you know, it's the source. So when I'm asked a question, and if you remember two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron talked about how Paul asked questions because what that does is it forces us to answer, right? When somebody asks you a question, you answer it in your mind, even if it's I don't know. So as a Christian, when a question like this is asked, we answer it. And then we go to the Bible for the truth. And the first way we can go about it is we go to the Bible looking for support of our answer. Now I want to word it this way because I think this is what's actually happening. When we do that, we're confident in our answer, and we go to the Bible to show that God agrees with us. I hope you can see how dangerous that is. To approach the Bible that way is pride. I'm told all throughout Scripture, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what are we to do then? We're going to naturally answer a question in our mind. But as a Christian, knowing this is the source, we have to humbly recognize we're not. And so we leave our answer here. We go to God's Word. We say, God, what is the answer? When we do it that way, it's going to free us up from the pride that grabs a hold of us on the other. Because if we're confident in our answer and we go to the Bible, we see Scripture that doesn't line up, what do we do? We reject it, which only tears down our confidence. But when we humbly leave our answer and we go and read those verses that contradict, seem to contradict our answer at the beginning, we have to dive in because God's the source of truth. And once we find the answer in Scripture, we go back to our answer, Right? And what do we do with it? If it lines up with God's answer, we praise God because he's given us insight. If it doesn't line up with God's answer, we thank God for correcting us and we toss it to the side, right? So that's how we need to approach the source of truth to find answers to our questions. We need to humbly recognize we're not the source, God is. And so that's what I want to do today. As we look at the question, do I still need to follow the law if it can't save me? Let's go to God's word. And let's get an answer to that question. And it's much more in-depth than what we think. And here's the beauty about it. When you go to God's Word to try to find the answer, you're going to see just how much you gain from that. I was blown away with what God taught me as I was trying to find the answer to this question. So I read Galatians chapter 3 at the very beginning. Um, and before we get into that, I want to just verify the question. Sometimes there's a lot of hypothetical questions that we shouldn't waste our time messing with. But this question says that there's a law that can't save me. Now that comes from Galatians 3, and we actually just read it. And that law that we saw was uh, a guardian, right, until Christ came. And it, and it says in that, in that passage, chapter 24, it says it was a guardian so that we, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now when we see that word justified, it should also remind us of Galatians 2 that we've been in a few weeks earlier. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the works of the law, no one will be justified. The word justified means declared righteous. And that righteousness is divine righteousness. So through faith in Christ, we are de declared divinely righteous, and you're not according to the law. So this question 
does have some validity. There's a law that can't save us. But now since we're here, um, I want to put that, that verse. You might have noticed I skipped this section. And this is really just me showing you what God did in my... Like, I, I didn't skip it because I didn't like it. I skipped it because I thought it was being redundant and I was trying to get to the point that you're not justified by works. Can you put that up? What's underlined is what I skipped there. And again, I thought it was being redundant. I thought it was just reaffirming what Paul had already said in chapter 2. And I was trying to make the point that we're not justified by the law. But it says, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Paul says, We have believed in Christ in order to be justified. And when I read it again, because I, I took it out of my notes, and then I read it again, and God reminded me of what Jesus said in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 28, the crowd asked Jesus, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That meant a lot to me, because I grew up in a faith and works type system. I have friends that do that, and we've debated a lot. And they always pose this question, you, you don't have to do anything. You just think you're safe because Jesus did it. No, we have to believe. God gives us the ability to believe. And through belief, that is the work of God, to be declared righteous. And I only say that to you not to help us answer the question, but don't be too quick to go through Scripture. Don't be too quick. We just talked about don't try to find verses that just match your answer. Really dive in. And to me, that was huge because I skipped over it, and then I saw God put something right there for us. And just to help me in my, in my past and just growing up that way to know that belief is the work of God, and that's how we're justified. Just a neat thing there. So there is a law that clearly can't save us because no one's justified by the law. So that begs the question, what is the law then? What's the law that Paul's talking about? When you and I think of the law, what do we think of? We typically think of the Ten Commandments, right? Funny enough, if you were here last week, we had an outdoor service, and we did something a little different. We had games and food, and at the beginning, me and Pastor Aaron did a Bible trivia. We found out that you guys don't know the Ten Commandments very well, right? <laughs> And what's funny is Ryan and Amber, they asked their little boy Parker every Sunday, say, hey, what'd you learn at church? He's like, I learned no one knows the fifth commandment. <laughs> so, <laughs> but when we think of the law, we typically think of the Ten Commandments. Well, we might also think about all the other laws, the sacrificial laws, the ceremonial laws, the social law, all these different things. The first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, the Pentateuch, or what Joshua calls the book of the law. Galatians also, uh, Paul says it's the book of the law. The first five books of the law in there, there's 613 verses that reference commands of God. That doesn't necessarily mean there's 613. There's debate about those because some are duplicated, some are clarifying, some have multiple commands in there. But the reality is there's a lot, right? And so when we think of the law, we think of the Old Testament law started with the Ten Commandments, and then we have all these other things on how we are to live. Is this the law Paul's talking about? Because remember from our passage, Paul says that it held us captive. It imprisoned us. He also says that it's a curse and it gave sin its power and it's the law of sin and death in his other letters. But notice how Jesus mentions the law of Moses. We need to verify what is Paul talking about. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So two times in there, Jesus says he did not come to abolish them, which means he did not come to destroy them, to overthrow them, to change them, or to modify them. He came to fulfill them. So is this still the law that Paul talks about that holds us captive? Some could reference, you know, Paul's a Pharisee. We know the Pharisees added all kinds of other laws to follow. 
Are, are those the laws that he's talking about? We know Paul was like the supreme Pharisee, right? Are these the laws he's talking about? But in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, notice what Paul says. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on a stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Paul says the ministry of death carved in letters on a stone that was given to Moses. What is that? That's the Ten Commandments. Paul says that's the ministry of death. Yet there was some incredible glory that even the Israelites couldn't look upon Moses' face. But nonetheless, he says the law was the ministry of death. He is talking about the law of Moses. Is there something wrong with God's law then? Well, Paul also said in Romans 7, 12, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So what's going on? How can Paul say that the law held us captive and imprisoned us? It was the law of death but also say the law was good, holy, righteous. What's, what's going on here? And again, this is important to answer our question. What law are we talking about? In Galatians 3.10, we read this about four weeks ago. Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of law and do them. James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. See, the law is not the problem. The problem is you and I. The problem is sin. Romans 8, 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, for anyone out there who thinks you're more righteous than others, and say, I've never broken the law, and what you're talking about. Let's not forget what, Matt, what Matthew 5 says when Jesus says that your thoughts condemn you. He says, Anyone who commits murder is liable to judgment, but I say anyone who's angry with his brother is liable to the same judgment. Says anyone, you know, not to commit adultery, but anyone who's looked at someone with lust is guilty of the same thing, right? Your thoughts condemn you. There's none of us that have not broken the law. That's why Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think to help us further understand this, it was an interesting passage. I'm not going to go through it all. Because honestly, as I studied through it, we'd have to read the whole New Testament. And I encourage you to do that sometime. There's a lot, a lot of good stuff in here. But I want to just kind of walk you through Romans 7 quick. And I encourage you to go back and read it sometime, verses 7 through 14. Paul says something very interesting about the law. He says prior to the law, he didn't know sin. Prior to the law, he said sin was left dormant. And then the law comes up and says don't covet. And sin woke up and began to covet. But he goes on to say the law didn't bring about that sin. The law exposed the sin. And we read in Galatians a few weeks ago that the law was there because of our sin. And so here's what happened. What Paul says the law did was we, we, were, we were ignorant, right? Someone, well, if I'd known it was wrong, I wouldn't do it. Well, Paul says what sin did is they knew it was wrong when the law showed up and still did it. The law's not the problem. The law is good and righteous and good, yet we're the problem. So why is it that Paul says we're imprisoned? Again, just to clarify, because we're the problem. The law condemned us because of sin. The law was good. Thanks be to God that all that has changed. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. And in Romans 7, Paul says, we're now released from the law. Romans 10 says, Christ is the end of the law. And there's countless other verses in the New Scripture or in the New Testament that shows us we're no longer bound to this law of sin and death, as Paul calls it. We're no longer imprisoned and held captive. So do we have to follow the law of Moses then? Well, let me ask you something. 
When you became a Christian, did it all of a sudden be okay to murder somebody? Did it all of a sudden be okay to steal, to worship a false god as a Christian? No. If Christ came to fulfill it, it would be insane to think that we can now break it. So what does that mean? Does that mean the law of Moses is still in effect? No, it's not. We have been freed from the law of Moses. The law of Moses is a part of the old covenant that was given to the Israel to set them apart as a separate nation. It wasn't for us. But we're not lawless either. We're not given just this freedom to do as we please. In fact, Paul talks about that extensively. What then? Since we're not on the law, do we sin? No. God forbid, right? The reality of it is the law of God remains and always will. The law of Moses and the old covenant have passed away because Jesus fulfilled that. But now there's a new covenant and a new law. So to answer this question, do I have to follow the law if it can't save me? This is coming from a perspective of a Christian. So what is this new covenant and what is this new law? Remember, Jesus said he did not come to uh, abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Well, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, said in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. After Jesus fulfills the law, he also brings a new covenant, which fulfilled the prophets as well. And in Hebrews 8, compares Jesus with Moses. And it says Jesus is a better priest than Moses was. And Jesus' covenant is a better covenant than the old one. And in Romans 8, after he quotes Jeremiah 31, 31, which we just read, in verse 13 it says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is being, becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Interesting enough, shortly after Hebrews is written, Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple's destroyed. There is no sacrificial system again. There's a clear distinction that the old has passed and the new has come. Again, just some clarifying thing on that. The old covenant required sacrifices for your sin for breaking the law, right? Yet they could never take away sin. Never. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but it's important for us to know he didn't fulfill the law by his death. He fulfilled the law by his righteous living. His death is a part of the new covenant. Hebrews 9 tells us all about that, how he didn't go in to offer a sacrifice for himself. That was the requirement of the old covenant. He fulfilled it perfectly in his righteous living. Now I want to read Hebrews 11 that talks about this. I don't want you to take my word for it. It won't be on the screen because I know there's a lot of slides already. Hebrews 11, 11 through 18. Nope, that's not Hebrews 10. Okay. This is... The writer of Hebrews is comparing the old law, the old covenant, and the new covenant. In verse 11 it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Now notice 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. And again, if we think of the old covenant, you had to follow it to a T. And if you failed to do that, you had to offer sacrifices. That's why they did it daily. But with Jesus, under this new covenant, he offers a sacrifice once 
And you and I never offer for our sin. There's no sacrifices we offer because He was enough. Again, to further show this, when we think of the cross being a part of the new covenant and not somehow fulfilling the law, notice what Hebrews 9 tells us about Moses. He says he took the blood of bulls and goats, he sprinkled it on the scroll and then on the people. And then in verse 20 he says this, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. Right? There has to be blood to, ratify, to perfect this, this, these covenants uh, throughout Scripture. Now Jesus said something similar after eating the bread. He took the cup in the same manner. And look what he said in Luke twenty-two twenty. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus' sacrifice is a part of the new covenant. As we read in Hebrews chapter 10, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and their sacrifices didn't take anything away. But this new covenant doesn't involve bloods of bulls and goats. It involves the blood of the Lamb of God. I don't know about you, but that gets exciting to me. You and I could have been born any time, and we're on the, this side of the new covenant. What a glorious thing. Remember John the Baptist when he sees Jesus coming? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The law, was, the law of Moses required perfect obedience. Jesus did that for you. Now the new law, the law of Christ, we follow not because we're trying to earn merit from God. We don't follow it to be saved. We follow it because we're saved. So what is the law of Christ? John 13, 34, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, when we look at the law of Christ, this is where we can get confusing. If we forget what we just learned, that the old covenant and the law of Moses is done away with, we are now under a new covenant with the law of Christ, still the law of God. We're going to see some similarities here in a moment. And that's caused a lot of division because then we want to go back. So you got to uphold the law of Moses. We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of God, which now in the new covenant is called the law of Christ. And you might ask, well, where, where do you get that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 9, 21, Paul says this. As a Christian, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. Paul makes a clear distinction here, as well as in Romans chapter 2, that there's always been people that had the law and people who didn't have the laws, the Jews and the Gentiles. And what Paul says here is those outside of the law, the what law? The law of Moses, the Gentiles. For those people, he lived as one outside the law, but not outside the law of God. Again, we're not left lawless. He said, but under the law of Christ, which is still God's law. Now, I know when we start talking about this, some people are going to say, well, you know, we Christians all the time, you just pick and choose what you want. You know, you pick this, you pick that, you do whatever you want to do. We're not picking and choosing. The reality of it is those same people who say that are also not offering, offering sacrifices. They don't care the fact that they got caught in a polyester shirt, which was against the old law, right? See, we're not picking and choosing. We're under a completely new system. Galatians 6.2, Paul also says, Bear one another's burdens so to fulfill the law of Christ. We see the law of Christ referred to as the perfect law of liberty, James 1.25, the royal law, James 2.8, and the law of the spirit of life, Romans 8.2. So what is this law? It's also known as the law of love, and we get that from Galatians 4, or 5.14. Paul says, for the whole law is justified in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, that sounds similar to the old law because it's actually exactly in Leviticus 19.18, but we're not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of Christ. 
Paul kind of alludes to the differences here, because look in verse 13. Remember what he's telling the Galatians. The Galatians, the Judaizers have come in, and they're trying to push them back under the law. And though he just, he just said, quoted Leviticus 19.18, this is the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What he's talking about is the law of Moses. Why do they look so similar then? Why do we see Jesus say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we see all throughout the New Testament to love your neighbor as yourself? And yet that's a part of the old law because it's still God's law. But it's a different covenant. It's not the old covenant. It's not the law of Moses. It's the new covenant in Christ's blood. And we're under the law of Christ. But here's the deal. There's no sense in arguing whether or not we should follow this law or follow that law. The big difference in these covenants is how we approach the law. How we approach the old covenant, which you and I were never a part of. That was 2,000 years before us, right? But the old covenant, how it had to be approached is you did what you had to, like you had to follow the law in order to be in right standing with God. And when you failed, you had to offer these sacrifices to maintain a relationship with God. Yet we're told it never removed your sin. Never. The new covenant, we don't follow the law of Christ to earn anything from God. We follow the law of Christ because He did it for us. We follow it because we're saved. And that's why He said in John 13, As I have loved you, you love other people. The moment that you're following the law of Christ to earn something from God, you're no longer following the law of Christ. Paul talked about this in Galatians 3. Circumcision is not the issue. It's why you do it is the issue, he says. If you're going to be circumcised to earn favor with God, you've separated yourself from grace. If you're going to be circumcised for other reasons, that's, that's fine. It's not to gain merit with God because Christ changed it. We're under a new covenant. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Compare that to how Paul talked about the old covenant and the old law. The old covenant and old law imprisoned us, held us captive, gave sin its power. You know, it constantly reminded us we didn't measure up, but the new covenant, the new law of Christ, His commandments are not burdensome. His yoke is light. Paul says, don't put on the yoke of slavery, Christ's yoke is light. As Christians who have believed in Jesus, we've been justified, declared righteous by faith. We're new creations, right? And the new creation is the light in the law of God. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. So do we still follow the law if it can't save us? Well, here's the deal. God has given us the privilege as His children under the new covenant to follow the law of Christ, not to be saved, but because He's already saved us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we reflect on this. I hope that this has made sense to you. But I think it's important for us to know the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And how we are to, to approach the law of God. And how different it is in Christ. And I know some of you here today are struggling through life. And we've all had those moments where we ask God, what, what have you done for me? When am I going to get my chance? And I want to encourage you to remember this new covenant and what Christ actually did. Under the old covenant before Christ, you were imprisoned and held captive. You were reminded constantly of your sin. In fact, it provoked you to sin more because of your sinfulness. And now in Christ, you've been freed from that.
you have been justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we get to follow his law, not out of duty, but out of desire. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now that as we just reflect on this and as we get ready to respond through song, that God, you would just give us an overwhelming sense of thankfulness and gratitude for what you accomplished on the cross. That God, through this new covenant, we can live a life that's fruitful and brings glory to you. God, following your law is not burdensome. And you fulfilled all the requirements. And you give us this yoke that's light. God, I pray that we would just dig into that. God, be with us now as we respond through song. We give you the praise, though, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we respond.